This is the HBO Boxing Podcast. I am HBO Boxing Insider Eric Raskin, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, fellow HBO Boxing Insider Kieran Mulvaney. And last week on our friends Brian Campbell and Rafe Bartholomew's Boxing Podcast, Rafe peed in a cup live on the podcast. So I just want to say, you're welcome, Kieran. I may have told some bad jokes over the years, but I never made you listen to me urinate while we podcasted. Uh, wow. At least not yet. Uh, there's always this week's show and next week's, I suppose. <laughs> right, exactly. We could just could just go in a blaze of glory here, or <laughs> if, that, if that's what we call it. Yes. We, yeah, that's actually what I call it. It's like, I've just got to go to the bathroom for a blaze of glory. <laughs> is, is that it? Is that, that is what it. John Bon Jovi was actually singing about? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Also, mm. also, coincidentally, I live alone. <laughs> I'm starting to think it's not so coincidental. <laughs> right? Just, you know, I, I don't want to say there's a cause and effect here. But. <laughs> yes, indeed. Talking of actual blazes of glory. It's been quite some ride, Eric. Nearly five years, fully 283 episodes and counting. But now, as the song says, the end is near and we face the final curtain. Yes, folks, this is our final fight preview. Uh, this Saturday, December 8th, HBO Boxing takes its final bow, at least for the foreseeable future with a boxing after dark triple header. And in many ways, it could not have chosen a more fitting final location, the StubHub Center in Carson, California, the site of so many truly great and action-packed battles over the years where Oscar De La Hoya and Miguel Cotto scored their final wins, where Gennady Golovkin really seemed to morph into a superstar and where it seemed for a while that the boxing cards just could not fail to be exciting. Um, and we finish here with a triple header and an interesting one it is uh, in the opener. Olympic gold medalist Clarissa Shields takes on Femke Hermans in the co-main superfly card stalwart Juan Francisco Estrada meets Victor Mendez. And in the main event, the first lady of boxing, Cecilia Breikus, returns to the venue where she made her HBO debut earlier this year as she faces off against Alexandra Magdias Lopez. Uh, that action begins at 10.20 p.m. And we begin, as always, by asking what's at stake. And we're going to do it a little differently this time. Finally, we're going to start changing things up around here. <laughs> Good time for that, yeah. Right? Um, and we're gonna, what we're going to do is we're going to ask what's at stake for all three of the A-side fighters. And I'll kick off with the two female A-sides, as they've been mentioned as possible foes for each other. And both, in some respects, are in similar spots. And, and really what it comes down to for both of them is two words, really. Relevance and opportunity. Look, both have already accomplished a huge amount in the sport um, uh, in terms of women's boxing. Shields is a two-time Olympic champion. She's the only American, male or female, to win back-to-back boxing golds at the Games and is undefeated as a pro. And Brakus is regarded as the number one women's boxer pound for pound in the world. Shields was already a big boxing story before she turned pro, and her pro career has been perfect so far. But... Of course, this is boxing, and already there have, the whispers of criticism have started. The fact that, for example, she has stopped only two of her seven victims. And there comes a point when the celebrity and the potential and the skill are no longer enough, and when that needs to be translated into big fights against big names, which is, of course, difficult in the relatively shallow talent pool that is women's boxing. But there are names out there, and Shields needs a strong performance on Saturday night to make those matchups a real possibility. And one of the names that has been mentioned, of course, is indeed Cecilia Brakus, who isn't as big of a name in the United States as Shields is, but is more of a global personality. But her much-heralded US and HBO debut uh, this year was a little bit of an underwhelming and surprisingly close win against Kaylee Reese. Uh, Brakus has also taken a little criticism, partly because she and her team actually appear quite reluctant to take on Shields. 
um, perhaps not unreasonably. Shields is a weight class above her and would likely outweigh her considerably on fight night. But Breakers can't coast forever on this whole being first lady of boxing and being the pound for pound number one, especially at a time when women's boxing is getting a lot more attention and there are other people who are making a case for that position. And so she also does need a good performance on Saturday to underline her status at the top of the women's game. Yeah, uh, to to begin my response, uh, I'll first note uh, that Clarissa Shields declared on Twitter that she scored for Deontay Wilder over Tyson Fury on Saturday night. So she has one strike against her coming okay. into uh, in, into this fight. Uh, but in all seriousness, um, I look at her, she's only 23 years old. So any part of me that might want to say, well, she hasn't impressed me that much as a pro yet. The truth is she's still developing. There's no huge rush. She's taken on about the best opposition you could hope for through seven fights and hasn't come close to losing. So she's on a good track. Um, but if she wants to go to the next level in terms of star power, become the star at the center of women's boxing over the next five to ten years, she needs a big fight against a fellow star. And because of Brakus's age, the clock is ticking somewhat on that mm. particular fight. Um, and that's really the most interesting thing about combining the two of them in this what's at stake. One of them is 23. The other is 37. If they're on a collision course, it's a crossroads collision course where they're at very different right. stages of their lives and careers. But this, this is a fairly typical situation we've seen many times in the, the fights that we've previewed where a loss would be devastating to either of these A-sides. And if they really want to help their Q ratings and bargaining power, they need to not only win on Saturday, but look good winning. Yep. As for what's at stake for the third A-side on the card, Juan Francisco Estrada, we've talked plenty in the last two years about the 115-pound division and how strong it is at the top, and Estrada has been a part of that discussion throughout, uh, and his position as a top-two fighter in the weight class is at stake in this fight with fellow Sonora, Mexico native Victor Spock Mendez, uh, who I guess maybe looks a little like the Zachary Quinto Spock from the newer Star Trek oh, is movies. Is that what it's about? Is I don't know. I, took, I was looking at him and thinking... That's my best guess as to where the nickname comes from. He doesn't um, sneak a nerf pinch in around the sixth <laughs> round or something like that. He might. Something to watch for. Hard to do that with gloves on. But uh, <laughs> um, anyway, it, it's, it's interesting how this opportunity came about for Estrada. Uh, this slot on the card was supposed to go to Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez, but he suffered a knee injury. So on less than two weeks notice, Estrada, who was training for another fight, a keep busy fight, stepped in. Of course, Estrada famously lost to Chocolatito in an outstanding competitive fight back in 2012 when Chocolatito was at his peak and Estrada was only 22 years old. And in a dozen fights since, Estrada has only lost once to Srisaket Sorung Visai by majority decision this February in one of the best fights of the year. Sorung Visai is the lineal champ in the division. Estrada is his top contender. I think all fans of the little guys in boxing would love to see a rematch. And Estrada has to take care of business against Mendez to keep that fight in high demand. Yeah, Estrada's sort of been in many ways the most consistent presence um, during the rise of the Superflies, really, over the, on HBO over the last couple of years, hasn't he? I mean, like, yeah. Chocolatito was, of course, the initial main attraction and, and the guy around whom all that, that franchise was sort of initially built. Um, but, you know, Srisaket brought him back to earth, if not in the first fight, then certainly the second one. Um, and then Srisaket has himself, of course, emerged as a dominant force. But, you know, he's been he's taken a little bit of time away and, you know, dealing with some issues and has gone, you know, had a fight back back home in Thailand. Of course, there was Carlos Cuadras, but he's fallen away a little bit, partly because of Juan Francisco Estrada. Yeah. Um, 
Inoue appeared, showed up, and then was gone, uh, moving moving up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then more recently, we've had Nieres and Ioka sort of be a part of it. But all the way through, Estrada has been there or up there or near the top. Um, he's the one, as you mentioned, who pushed both Chocolatito and Srisaket to the brink. I mean, terrific fights, both of those. Um, the thing is, and what he's got to try and correct here, is the fact that his last outing, although it was a dominant one, it wasn't an impressive one. This was, I think we were probably saying something very similar before his last fight against Felipe Orocuda, this is his opportunity to go out there and seize the mantle and show everybody that with, with Chocolatito maybe out of it as we thought he might have been then and Srisaket sort of with his mind elsewhere, Estrada can just absolutely seize the mantle and seize this division. And he just kind of sleptwalk through his fight against Orocuda. He won comfortably, but he just didn't look like he could be bothered to be there for a lot of it. And so it wasn't that opportunity that he needed to really mark himself as at best or at worst the number one A in the, in the division. So he needs to be, he, he can't be diffident and uninspired. He needs to go out there and look like he really wants to be there, look like he really wants to make the fight, looks like he wants to win the fight, looks like he really wants to make an impression. The stage is set for him uh, once again. He kind of had one bite of the cherry a few months ago and didn't look great doing it. He really needs to, to seize the opportunity on Saturday. Yeah, get, getting an opportunity that he, he didn't know was coming until yep. uh, until just a few days ago. Got to make the most of it. Yep. All right, let's move on to a couple of storylines. And I'm up with the, the first one here. Uh, as of seven months ago, there had been exactly zero women's bouts on HBO Boxing. By the end of Saturday night, there will have been four. Uh, Breakus making her U.S. debut against Kaylee Reese in May. Then Heather Hardy defeating Shelly Vincent in New York in October. And finally, Shields and Breakus on Saturday's card. Uh, also, it was not that long ago either that uh, flyweight or super flyweight fighters being on HBO was a rarity. But over the last couple of years, they've been something of a staple because of the quality and depth of talent in and around those divisions. Uh, with Juan Francisco Estrada, the only fighter who appeared on Superfly, Superfly 2, and Superfly 3. Uh, and now we have two women's bouts, and a super flyweight contest on one card. Uh, So, Kieran, a few questions. Uh, Is this a sign that some of these overlooked boxers are now getting opportunities and that fans are more receptive to watching them? Can we expect to see more of these kind of matchups on our TVs and apps in in the future? Uh, Or is there another reason why we've been seeing more of these lately? My suspicion is that Mm, at least in in the hardcore fans receptivity for seeing these fights has sometimes exceeded the awareness of programmers and matchmakers and promoters mm-hmm. um uh, you know boxing fans just want to see good fights and good fighters um uh, whatever their size or whatever their gender i think uh, uh, you know michael carbajal and chiquita gonzalez have beaten the holy hell out of each other what 25 years ago now for for pretty darn good purses um it wasn't that long after that that Christy Martin and Lucia Riker had some attention and then Leila Ali after that. I think the problem, to some extent, with the very small weights and, and perhaps more significantly in women's boxing uh, has been the depth of the talent pool that we just sort mm-hmm. of alluded to earlier. You know, So there have been waves, there have been ebbs and flows. There'll be, you know, a, a star will come along and an attractive um, a, a sort of tent pole, if you will, at like a lower weight class or in the women's division. Um, and you know, and there'll be some interest in that, but then you realize there's the lack of good opposition for them and they're kind of there by themselves a little bit. And as a result, in, you know, in, interest diminishes a little bit and we move on again. Uh, I think the big difference now and going forward particularly 
is that the change in the way that boxing media is going to be consumed uh, or is already being consumed and is going to be consumed over the coming years means that fans are increasingly able to see entire cards, right? Uh, not just two or three fights atop big cars in Vegas and New York or wherever. And there's appetite for, for doing so. You know, you combine that with social media. You've got plenty of people now who are watching undercard streams and are discussing them in real time on social media. And what that means is if you're a lighter weight fighter or a female fighter, there are more opportunities for fans to see you and become familiar with you on the way up, which increases the likelihood, if you're good and if you have a fan-friendly style and a good media presence and good opponents, of making your way up. Up the card and increasing that audience so um yeah i think we are probably going to see a lot more of both um and you know initially on the undercards and they're going to have that much more of an opportunity as well to to you know to make the way up to the main cards and the other factor that you know plays into some of this particularly on the women's side is that now women's boxing is in the olympics which yes. is certainly going to help the development of talent and rivalries it's going to increase skill level it's going to expose um uh, female fighters to the audience even before they turn pro i mean katie taylor already had a ready-made offering when she uh, following when she turned pro so did claressa shields um and i think that seems um likely only to improve would be my guess yeah, I, I think that's really the key thing that, that I focus on here looking at, at this is how, you know, attitudes toward women's boxing are changing or, or have changed. You know, not universally, of course. There are still yeah. some people you talk to who are very stuck in their ways of, oh, I, I don't want to see women hit each other. But, uh, you know, whereas once it was a sideshow providing four rounders on undercards as a change of pace, now as you said, thanks to the, the Olympics, the rise of amateur women's boxing, the fights and fighters are, are taken more seriously and there's real skill at the top. So, you know, boxing doesn't have its Ronda Rousey yet, uh, but right. I do think the possibility of women headlining major cards in the years ahead is, is strong. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you mentioned Ronda Rousey. It makes me think, you know, we talked about this with Heather Hardy, of course. That, in a way, MMA has probably helped because for whatever reason, MMA fans became more rapidly happy with the idea of watching women fighters in the octagon. And, mm -hmm. and perhaps that just kind of just helps inject into the bloodstream the fact that it's okay to, to you know, to be watching women fighters. And, and maybe that yeah. maybe MMA has helped cross over into boxing a little bit in that yeah. respect. I don't That's know. a good point. Yep. All right. There's one other massive storyline here. Uh, we've been tiptoeing around the proverbial elephant in the room for the last couple of months, but we can ignore its trumpeting no longer. Yes, as we've mentioned a couple of times already on this podcast, this Saturday's card is, at least as presently scheduled, the final HBO boxing card ever. After 45 years, and by the time we go off the air, 1,119 televised bouts. Uh, next week, when we review this card, we will also take the opportunity to look back at what HBO boxing and our being part of it has meant to us personally. But... Before we ever worked for HBO, Eric, we were boxing reporters, and before that we were boxing fans, and for both of us, and indeed many, many others, HBO was a huge part of the boxing landscape for decades now. Um, and as we near the end, I'm curious what stands out to you from the last 45 years, and really what you think HBO's legacy will prove to be in this sport. Well, what stands out to me simple as it sounds, it is all the great fights and fighters. Uh, and, and those things don't entirely go hand in hand. Having great fighters doesn't yes. always get you great fights. There have certainly been moments in HBO's history when they were so determined to have the best fighters on their air that the matchups sometimes suffered. But you can hardly name an elite pound-for-pound -pound fighter from the past three or four decades who didn't compete on HBO. 
and to list all of the great fights would take an hour. Uh, right. When, and when you combine that with the production values and what Jim Lampley's voice means to those of us who fell in love with boxing sometime in the 80s or 90s or 2000s, the HBO boxing legacy, to me, is one of just astounding class. Uh, this is not a knock on any other network that has televised boxing in my 21 years on the beat, but hearing the HBO boxing music and hearing Lampley's voice at the start of the show just stirred up a certain excitement yeah. and signaled a certain level of class. And yeah, nothing lasts forever, as we've been reminded. But I think when a little time passes, HBO's boxing legacy will be that it was the number one boxing network for a damn long time. Yeah. And it gave us the best fighters, the best fights, great boxing documentaries, you know, 24-7, Legendary Nights. It's all part of this package where for... Not just a generation, but a few generations, HBO was synonymous with the best of boxing in America. Um, I, I suppose I should save a little something for next week, but but that's how I view HBO Boxing's legacy. Yeah, my notes are just very similar. I, I mean, if I were to try and sort of sum up the legacy in a couple of words, it would be, you know, production values. I mean, just the sheer quality of the production. You would turn on HBO and it would look great. The whole it would this feeling of a big event would just mm -hmm. come right through the screen, wouldn't it? Um, everything, the way it looked, the way it was filmed, to, as you mentioned, the quality of the commentary. Um, you know, yeah, HBO was the pinnacle of the boxing broadcasting business. And, you know, to be fighting on HBO was to have made it, to have reached the biggest uh, uh, of the big times. You know, nothing else came close for so long in terms of glamour and significance. And yeah, look, before HBO the truly big fights could be massive events. So Frank Sinatra was a ringside photographer for the first, <laughs> you know, Ali Frazier, of course. But what HBO did, I think, was make fights that weren't fights of the century feel like truly big and exciting events on a consistent basis that, you know, maybe hadn't come along before. Um, you know, it, 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 it it made them feel like big events, not just through the production values it brought, but by simply bestowing its imprimatur on them. Um, you know, sure, there were downsides. You could argue, and it has been argued, that the migration of big fights to premium cable helped remove them from the masses. Right. And, you know, maybe helped, maybe contributed to the decline of popularity for the sport in the U.S. But one could easily make the case that that was a symptom, not the cause, that HBO stepped in and gave glamour and, and, and credibility to a sport at a time where everybody else was running away from it. So... Um, you know, that's a discussion that I'm sure will go back and forth for low these many years. Um, boxing, of course, will go on and indeed is already moving on, but it's going to be very hard. I'm sure like you, I'm sure like a lot of people, A, I've spent a lot of time going through old YouTube videos deliberately to look at HBO ah. fights. And also it's just very hard to look at YouTube videos of great fights and it not be HBO <laughs> fights. Um, and it's just really hard to like, for a long time, it's going to be hard to look at some of these great nights and hear Jim Lampley or Barry Tompkins or Max Kellerman or Larry Merchant or Ray Leonard or Lennox Lewis or Roy Jones or Andre Ward or George Foreman or, you know, bless him, Manny Stewart and, and just not feel a real tug of, of melancholy and nostalgia uh, as we look back at what's been uh, a, a really significant era for the boxing business. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let, let's cut that conversation off there before uh, one yep. of us gets a little weepy. Let's uh, yep. move on to prediction time. Uh, and I'll go first. 
with my predictions for all three fights. Uh, and then, as is HBO Boxing Podcast tradition, Kieran will with agree that. with every single <laughs> one of my picks. <laughs> and we say that somewhat in jest, but also it's likely to be true with this card because yeah. there is such a clear A-side in each fight. Uh, I'm taking uh, Clarissa Shields by decision over Femke Hermans, probably somewhere between 98-92 and 100-90. In other words, a Clarissa Shields fight. Uh, in the second fight of the evening... I think Victor Mendez is a solid fighter, but he essentially beats the journeymen and club fighters and Mm -hmm. loses to the world-class guys, and Estrada is certainly that. The question is whether Estrada can stop him, and I'm going to say no. I think we're getting a lot of rounds on Saturday night, uh, so I'm saying one-sided points win for Estrada. And then in the main event, Brakus is clearly a couple of notches above her opponent, uh, but Cecilia is not a big puncher. I see another distance fight, uh, and I predict that we will see Clarissa Shields in the ring calling Brakus out uh, after it's over. So I'm taking all three A-sides on points, and the fight of the night is Raskin versus his narcolepsy. If they do all go the distance, <laughs> I'm really going to be put to the test. We have a mild disagreement, which by our <laughs> okay. standards is a stop the presses kind of a deal. Uh, I've got the ball in all kinds of different orders here. Um, uh, I'm going to go first with the uh, domain. Um, look, to take the two women's fights first, Breakers has nine KOs and 34 wins. Magziak Lopez has one and 18. Yeah, this one's going the distance. Um, and like yourself, I fully expect Breakers to emerge victorious. Magziak Lopez is clearly no mug, but on those occasions that she has stepped up a bit, she's fallen just short. And I do expect that trend to continue as Breakers wins a comfortable unanimous decision. And similarly, in the opening bout, uh, we talked earlier about Shields' lack of knockouts. Um, but she and Hermans actually have half as many stoppages combined, five, and just 16 wins together as Breakers and Magziak Lopez have in 52. But I also see this going the distance. And Shields prevailing. Um, perhaps showing a bit of the focus that it looked like she didn't quite have going into her last fight when she allowed herself to get dropped before she came back and won quite comfortably. And I am going with the A-side in the co-main as well, but not this time by distance. Um, Mendez has never been stopped, but outside of a younger Luis Neri, he's re- he's never faced opposition remotely of the caliber of Estrada. Um, uh, and, and as we mentioned at the top, you know, even though this is a, a last-minute call to be on this card for Estrada, he'd already been training. He was already ready for a fight. Um, he's going to come into this in good shape. And I think this time he is probably going to try and seize the opportunity um, that Chocolatito has given him a little bit better. I'm going to pick him to be a bit more aggressive than last time out and to really take advantage of the exposure and get like a late eighth or ninth round stoppage not necessarily a clear knockout but just the final you know maybe the corner steps in the referee steps in the punishment just eventually becomes too much so there you have it a cataclysmic difference (laughs) of about three rounds between eric and myself yeah you really first taked it up there I'll say. <laughs> All right. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, that will do it for this edition of the HBO Boxing Podcast. We will be back next week with not my final HBO Boxing Podcast, but Kieran's final HBO yep. Boxing Podcast, the final regular edition of the pod, as we discuss everything that goes down in the ring Saturday at StubHub. Until then, thanks as always for listening. I'm Eric Raskin. And I'm Kieran Mulvaney. 